Well, as missionaries are heading off stage here, um, as I said earlier, we have a guest speaker going to bring God's word to us today. And uh, he's a man that when I was ministering as a pastor about five or so years ago in Iowa, I remember uh, at this conference and walking into this room and hearing this Arab guy talking about how Jesus Christ was everything to him and began to tell stories about how God and his sovereignty has allowed him to have to make some great sacrifices to follow Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you what, you're going to see the pure religion, if you will. You're going to see the pure passion of a person who has entered and encountered the living Jesus Christ. It's changed his life. Would you guys welcome with me, warm, warm applause, Pastor Stephen Curry. God bless you. Good morning. We worship a risen Savior, amen? I know he's risen because I'm from Jerusalem. The tomb is empty. That's what separates our faith from other faiths. Our God is real. He lives. And because he lives, because he's real, so must we. And I want to encourage you this morning to just open up your heart and just say, God, I'm in the spirit, in the mind, I'm, I'm laying it all down. God, I want to be transparent. I just, I want you to transform my life. If you, if you come in that attitude... It puts pride aside. It puts your own personal, fleshly, selfish desires sometimes to the side. To say, God, would you direct my path, my, my will. Today's an important day. Today, it's, it's an important day because we are literally stepping on enemy's territory. We're telling the enemy that we're going we're gonna to win as many as we can. We're going to, this is our attack plan. To expand for 2019 in missionaries, the, the, the many 12, 13 um, committed missionaries you have, you're, you're, you're telling the world, you're telling the enemy that we're, gonna, we're taking over more ground, amen? You're telling them we're, we're, gonna, we're expanding the kingdom of God. How are we doing it? By simply telling people the simple truth that Jesus Christ simply loves them for who they are and he sees them for who they could be. Uh, I want to thank uh, Pastor Doug, leadership team, Pastor Ryan, just this church for, for, for I commend you for doing this, this missions conference because more and more churches are, are stepping away from this and doing some other uh, creative modern stuff that is just getting away from the real message that the heart of God is missions, amen? So I commend you and the leadership team and, and you guys are gonna have big crowns in heaven, all, this whole church. Can we pray? And ask God just to go before us to prepare the message to what he has to speak to you individually. Can we pray? Father, we come before you this morning as individuals that, wa- individuals that want to honor you, that want to give back to you, that want to say thank you. Lord, I ask that would you release your angels upon every person sitting here today. I pray that you release your angels upon the lining of the sanctuary, of this campus, of this pulpit, of, this, of every pew. Lord, would you release your angels and command them to stand guards around us. Lord, that stand guards are on this prayer that the enemy will not attack, distract, or destroy any of, our, any of what you have intended for us. I pray today that you release the spirit of generosity. I pray, Lord, that you would touch the, the lives of sacrifice and giving and prayer and going. I pray today that every person here will be changed to never be the same again. I thank you for what we are about to enter in here. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. I was uh, born in Jerusalem and I grew up in the city of Bethlehem, the birth city of Jesus. As far as I can 
consciously, cognitively go back to my recollection, I cannot remember a single day in my life of world peace. I, as a young boy, I would go to school having to sometimes step over body parts from a suicide bombing. That was an average day for me growing up in the Bethlehem region, the Jerusalem region. But as I've grown, I've learned to grow up in that region. I've come to realization that Jesus is coming soon. And his, his coming, his return is getting closer and closer and closer. I know that person not because I love to learn the Bible, but I've also had the honor, and I've shared this, shared this in the last couple of services, had the honor to, to be a monthly teacher at one of the, one of the museums in Jerusalem. Actually, this, this, this colossal of museums together hold the largest biblical manuscriptic evidence in the world. Uh, which allowed me to go in the back rooms to get to, uh, to put on the white glove and get to uh, hang out and see some of the archives um, of what's happening behind the scenes. Unfortunately, due to the thing called confidentiality agreement, I can't tell you everything. But what I can tell you is that God is real. Jesus is real. The evidences of his existence, of what he did, uh, even others that tried to copy his name could not do what he did. So you're, you, by being here, you're on the right track. I grew up in a church setting in Bethlehem in Jerusalem where we would be sitting in a church similar to this. People would come in the back doors with Molotov bombs in their hands and they would throw the Molotov bombs at the church pews while worshiping and praying. That was an average Sunday for us as we worship and pray. During those days, you'd come in our church to see buckets of water and our people, would, our, our ushers and greeters would get up, would turn off the fire, get back to worship. Lord, look, nothing ever happened. And while we're worshiping, they're refilling the buckets because more fire could come at us. I said this the other night that uh, our, our ushers, our greeters have a dual job description. They're firemen and they're greeters, both, both in one. Don't take your freedom for granted. Don't take what you have for granted. The availability and opportunity and ability to be able to come and park and walk in with your, with your coffee in one hand and Bible in the other hand. Come in to freely worship. Do not take that for granted. Don't take the ability that you be able to read your Bible is for granted. Don't even take the, 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 the conscious decision to take it for granted. The ability to even understand what I say mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Don't take that for granted. Because there come, could, could come a day where you can be so much stress and depression and mental brokenness. That what I say or what you hear from the pastor, leader, Bible could, could not make sense anymore. Don't let your life get to that point. Guard yourself from now. Put yourself, uh, put yourself around you a shield of protection from right now so that when an enemy attacks, you can be mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally ready for what's to come. Today what I'd like to do is try to mix of a colossal of an amazing story that I've I, I grown to love as a child and to link you with some modern day stories to get to the point to inspire you enough in some way where God can tell you, show you directly exactly what he wants from your life. Listen, you're never too cool for God. I've had the honor to, to meet and speak in, in some Hollywood A-lister groups. I'll tell you some of the most unhappiest people in this world are some of the people that you see on TV. I want to tell you this, by the way. Some of the most broken and empty people are the ones you see on TV. Some of the most broken and hurting people are, are some of the wealthiest people in this world. You strip them from all their positions and all their wealth and all their stature in society. They're empty and they're broken from within. And some of you have already discussed with some of you this morning. You, some of you have come from the successful business world. And in several, several in the last 
couple days, they come up to me and said, you're so right. Some of the most empty, broken people are people that have, that have everything. But yet at the same time, they have nothing. Let God speak through you today. And there's no better way to explain it than Daniel chapter 3. For me, at least for this setting, for the theme of care, pray, and engage. And it's a beautiful story because this is a king, <clears throat> Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to summarize to you the first 23, 24 verses. And in Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar was a gambler. He wanted to be on the good side of every god. So what does he do? He dedicates one specific day where every man, woman, and child must bow down to all the gods that exist. The Bible says that the day came, the decree was signed, the rule was signed, that every man, woman, and child must bow down. The Bible says three Jewish prophets refused to bow down. And these three Jewish prophets, their names were Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And these three Jewish prophets, they stood up and they refused to be like everybody else. The Bible says he calls the, the king calls them into his palace, but he deals with them very delicately. Why does he do that? Because he understands that they belong to the same God that Daniel belonged to. And from his own experiences, the God of Daniel is a God that cares for those whom he loves. So he doesn't want to mess with the God of Daniel again by messing with these three guys. So in Hebrew, when you read the Hebrew context, you sort of see a very mellow voice when he talks to them. If I were to take the Hebrew conversation, again, I'm summarizing to you the first 23, 24 verses. If I were to take that into modern English, the conversation might have looked something close to this. The king looks at these three men and says, why aren't you bowing down? Why can't you just get along and blend in? Just be like everybody else. I'm not asking you to do much. Don't rock the boat. Just get on your knees, bow to these gods and move on. Does that sound familiar? This is what the world today wants you and I to be. Just don't rock the boat. Don't just blend in. Accept everything that's out there. But when you want to say something, it's, uh, you become the enemy. You have always a choice to engage in what your conviction is in a nice way, loving, caring way. Or you can choose to break in and to follow the world. It's up to you. We know the Bible says, we know, we know that what God wants us to do. It's up to you. You can engage in God and his kingdom or you can engage with the world. It's up to you. But there's blessings. There's consequences to reap from both sides. <laughs> Making a choice to engage with God on earth, you might lose some friends. And if friends aren't willing to accept and love you for who you are and your positions, then are they your friends? There's, there's positions and there is consequences to everything. These three men decided to engage God. And they looked at the king and they said, King, we understand what you're asking us to do. But we only worship one true living God. That was their truth. That's all they knew. That God changed them. God transformed them. God is a God that keeps his promises. And they said, we're not going to bow down to anybody else. Because that's what we believe. And he gets angry. And he says, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going I'm to burn you. And their response to him is so melodramatic. Their, their response to him is literally, I mean, if, if I were to take the English into, from the Hebrew into English modern day, this is w w what most probably would have sounded like. Ah, you kill us. It's okay. <laughs> Our God will deliver us. Man, that's unshakable, unbreakable faith they had. He sitting on the other end and said, oh, you're really challenging me, aren't you? And they're sitting here, they go, ah, it's okay. You kill us. It's fine. Our God will deliver us. But they have such an audacity to push the envelope even further. But they just want to dig it in. This is what they tell them. 
even if our God doesn't deliver us, we still will worship no other God but the one true living God. Him, he's standing here, he's confused. He's blindsided. He's saying, wait, wait, you're telling me he's going to deliver you. You're willing to bet on that. But yet, even if he doesn't, you're still, it's confusing. By the way, the enemy doesn't like it when, when you have blind faith. You know why? Because you have blind faith, you're unpredictable. And Satan wants you to be predictable. You know, he, Satan wants to put the right temptation, the right struggle, the right weakness in front of you to, to make you fall. But when you person that's just surrendering all to God, you're, you're, you're just saying, God, I'm yours. Just, I'm trusting in you and I'm, I'm not going to act in, in, in the reflex of the flesh. I'm going to act only in what you have in store for me. The enemy doesn't know what's, what, to hit, how, what to hit you next. He doesn't, his, his plan fumbles and falls away. But his, his confusion from the blind faith turns into physical, tangible action of anger. Which mostly that's what people, when they don't have an answer, they start to cuss, curse, throw stuff at you. That's normally the case. Here, what does he do? He says, oh, I'm going to hurt you. He commands his fire, the furnace, to be heated up seven times more than it was originally. So he's going to throw them in his pit, fiery pit. He says, I'm going to make an example out of you. I'm going to heat up the fire seven times more than it's originally heated because I want the world to talk about what I'm going to do to you. And it's funny because we are talking about it right now, but it's a lot different than what he intended it for us to talk about. The Bible says that he hits up the fire seven times. About, and it tells us that the flames were so strong, the flames go out and it sucks. The people heating up the fire, it sucks them in. It kills, it kills the men heating up the fire. That's how strong the flames were. And these guys are sitting here. I'm pretty sure they have fear down deep. I'm pretty sure they're thinking. Um, if, if, if they're human beings like, like me, uh, I've, I've had the, the honor and privilege to face death multiple times. And I'm, I'm not going to lie, it's It's scary. There's fear. You go through thoughts in your mind, but you, but you just stand firm in what you, what you know. And what, what do you stand firm in, Stephen? You stand firm in that the God that I serve is a promise in keeping God. He keeps his promises. Even when everything around me feels wrong, everything around me feels like it's going apart. If I'm standing strong in the promises and the will of God that I know it's going to be okay. I know it's going to come through. I know, I know things are become more understandable. Why? Because that's the kind of God that we have. And they trust in that. Bible, you know what's so irony is when he has, heats up the fire seven times, he doesn't understand that seven is God's perfect number. And when he hit up the fire seven times, all he did is he perfected a sanctuary, a place for the presence of God to appear. And if I may, if I may dare to say that to resemble this fiery pit to each and every single one of your life, if you're going through a trial, tribulation, tough time in your life, Allow that to be your sanctuary. Allow this difficult time you're going through in life. Allow it to be the place where God just perfects who you are. That God perfects your faith. He perfects your past, mends it with the present to build your future. Allow your difficult time to be a time where it just becomes a sanctuary for the presence of God to appear and to rule in your life. The Bible says he throws these three men in and, and as they're thrown into the fire... He sits back down. And all it says is he sits down, he looks into the fire. And he sees something so amazing, so astonishing. Uh, he sees something in the baruach, means in Hebrew, it's he sees something in the spirit. And he looks in and he sees something so captivating to him. It, it's so unique what he sees. The Bible says he gets up out of his seat. 
and he walks over to the hatom, in Hebrew means mouth, or the lip, edge, edge lip of the, of the fire. I mean, like if there's a pit there, like he's at the edge, the lips, he's literally at the edge. Why, why is that so interesting to me as a Stephen, as I, as I read the side of the Bible? For me, it's interesting because what would draw a man like that to such madness? To come to the edge of the fire when earlier it tells us that it killed people. The flames were so strong. The Bible says that it went out. The flames went out and sucked people in and killed them. What would draw him to such madness? A great king and emperor to come up to the edge of the mouth of the fire. The only rational answer and justification I have is that he wanted to be sucked in. He saw something. It was, it's not a suicidal spirit. Just, he just sees something in the fire. He wants to be a part of it. He wants to be engaged. He sees something so miraculous. He says, I, I want to be a part of that. And it's so funny because in verses 24, in those verses, he calls 24, he calls his counselors to come close to him. They probably were afraid to get close with him. But he says, come, come, come close to me and see what I'm seeing. And then he begins to speak life into the fire. That's what he says. Verses 25, check this out with me. He answered and said, he asked him, he said, don't you, don't you guys, he, he asked him in 24, didn't we throw three men in? And, and they say, King, yes, you saw us, we throw three men in. And he turns around and says, how come I see four? Check this out, verse 25. He answered and said, why do I see four men loose walking in the midst of a fiery furnace? And they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. 27, and the princes and the governors and the captains and the kings and the counselors that being gathered together, they saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor a single hair on their body was touched. Neither even the coats or their, their garments were ripped or burnt. I love this. Not even their smell of the fire had passed on them. I don't know about you guys. Check this out. I don't know what God, I don't know what God you want. I don't know what God you're chasing after. This is the kind of God I want. I want the kind of God that in his infamous glory, in his, even in finite time, even in his, I, like, I joking like to say, the, in his busy schedule, he has time to step down from heaven and to walk with those whom he loves. He even has a time to unshackle them. He even has time to put a little bubble around them and just to, just to hang out on the fire. Be, I would have loved to be a flame in that fire, by the way, just to hear the conversation. I would have loved to see Shadrach Misha. You know, Abednego is that's the name of a slave. He was freed on earth and he was freed in, freed in the midst of the fire. I, I would have loved to see the conversation. They probably would have said, really, you really had to do this? So cool to showcase your glory through us. And it's like, I would have loved to be in on that conversation, just to be, just to be flaming that fire. He walks with them. His journeys with them. Because he doesn't see how long they were in there for, but we know that things aren't as fast as we read them. And they just hang out. That's the kind of God I want. That's the kind of God that you want too. If you're a smart person, this is the kind of God that you want. When he says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. He means what he says. He says what he means. He's a covenant, promising, keep it God. And, and the world can try to come up with all this 
funny intellect that usually goes in circles and goes nowhere, but they never have an answer for you. For me, God says, I love you. I'll be there for you. This is the kind of God I love. And, and for me, I experienced it when, when, I, when I, was, uh, I had the honor to disciple a young man who came from a very large Muslim family. I witnessed what it means to, to understand, to hear the statement, God is a promising keeping God. Because here's, here's what happened. Check this story out. This young man, I spent two weeks discipling him, answering his questions. After two weeks, he disappeared. His mother found his Bible, and she gave his Bible to his uncles. And his uncles, for three days, they locked him up in his bedroom. Every five, six hours, they would, un, uh, they would come into his bedroom. They unwinded a metal hanger. And in this colossal three days of every five, six hours, they would come in to beat him up over and over and over again. They would request that he would deny his love for Christ. Not once would he deny his love for Jesus. I'm telling you, these metal hangers, they leave welts that break the skin apart. Not one time would he deny his love for Jesus. His uncles got together and said he's been brainwashed. We don't need to mess with it anymore. We got to go after the people doing the brainwashing. And that's when they found out that it was me doing it. Before I tell you what's happened next, you have to understand something about this young man. He hadn't gone to discipleship 101. He didn't grow up in Sunday school. At that time, I can guarantee you, he could not tell you the difference between the Trinity. I can guarantee he didn't tell the difference. He could not tell the difference between Genesis and Revelations. He could not explain the Trinity. He couldn't. It's, it's all, he's only known Christ for two weeks. What would draw him to such madness? To deny a love for Christ, someone he could not fully intellectually, theologically, or rationally defend. Or even rationalize to others verbally. What about Jesus drew to such madness? It's simple. He saw a Jesus Christ that engaged him and loved him for who he is. And he saw a Jesus Christ that saw him for who he could be. And upon that mere fact alone, Jesus Christ loved him for who he could be, was enough for him to be physically beaten up for the gospel. And I want to jump, jump back into the story. as uh, So they found out I was the one that's doing the brainwashing, evangelism. Evangelist brainwashers, they call us. I'm walking down the church street of our church in Bethlehem that we call the Mother Church because it's, it's the one that my father started 41 years ago. And, and out of that, uh, we've birthed many others. Glory to God. I'm walking down the ch church street and somebody comes up to me. He says, are you Stephen? I said, yes. When I said, yes, I'm Stephen. I felt something burning in the back of my head. I went like this here thinking it's a bug or a fly. I'm talking to this person in Arabic. I felt something in the back of my head. I scratched like this and I felt my fingers were wet. Looked at the palm of my hands and there was blood there. It all happened so fast, it's, I didn't even have time to, to rationalize what's going on around me. And I turned around, I'm talking to this guy, I turned around to see, I hear somebody from behind coming, I turned around. And that's when I realized, that's when I got hit for the second time. About five or six guys there with metal chains and wooden sticks in their hands. They put me to the ground, they began to beat me over and over and over again, calling me names like infidel, proselyzer, and a Jesus lover. And this, in this colossal of beating, whatever it was, 30, 40 seconds, I don't, it, it, it was painful. But I was being beaten to the ground. I remember I shouted, I said, Lord, if you get me through this, I'll love you, I'll serve you, I'll do more for you. 
It was an odd prayer because I'm in that purpose being beaten because of Jesus. Now I'm telling them, I'll do more for you. Just get me out of it. It doesn't make, it didn't make sense, but at that point, because of the pain, I would say anything. I also tell people, that's when I knew that I had a heart of, it, heart of an evangelist. And, it, and in this beating, when I said that prayer, I, I literally felt like a white blanket just drape over my body. And I understood at that moment. Consciously, I was awake. I, 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 I remember everything. I remember the smiles on their faces. I remember the color of their teeth. I, I even remember the, the laughs that they were laughing as my body was on the ground. But he's real. Because when, when I saw that white blanket drape over me, I understood what it meant. When the psalmist said, even if I lay my bed in the pit of hell, thou art there with me also. I understood that nothing can separate us from the love of God. I understood that there's no place too low for the love of God to reach me. There's no place too high where God's presence can't reach me either. I understood that the moment doesn't matter whether you're 1 out of 10 in your faith, whether you're 10 out of 10 in your faith. I understood that moment it doesn't matter whether you're black, white, brown, doesn't matter whether you're American, Asian, African, it doesn't matter where you are from the world. His promises are real, they're tangible. It does not matter who you are, how rich, how poor you are, it doesn't matter where you are on this globe. You just have to be willing to trust and engage his scriptures and his promises. When you do that, he will change the world around you as you know it. And to jump back into, quickly and back into the story, he calls them out, the king. And, and I tell people, now the king is being narrow-minded because at first he threw them into the fire because they were saying what? We, we only worship one God. I'm, I'm, we're sorry. That's our position. Do what you want. Now he's being narrow-minded. Now he's on their side of the camp because he's saying, he calls them out. This is how he calls them out. He says, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, servants of the most high God. In Hebrew it says Hashem, meaning the only name of God. Now he's being narrow-minded. What would draw him to such position? Well, he witnessed the glory of God. He engaged. He went up to the fire and he engaged it. He, he, he wanted to be a part of it. And he calls them out. You know, it's so beautiful because when they come out, he becomes a witness, a first-hand witness. He becomes a spectator. He becomes a mouthpiece for the miracle. Because when it comes out, the Bible says, it, it, it was the king who begins to point out. He, like, he brings the, the, the largest spotlight in the world and just shoots it at them and when they come out of the fire he says look guys look and then he begins to say they have no hurt nobody's touched them the fire didn't touch them not even the smell of the fire was on them he begins like he's like bragging on the miracle he goes on and he rips up the old decree and rule he writes up a new one this new one says every man woman and child must bow down to own to the god of abraham isaac and jacob to the to the god of meshach because i have seen and i have witnessed his glory and i tell you there's no telling what god can do through your donation through your gift through you willing to say yes there's no willing there's no limit to what god can do through you by today by saying god i want to do something for you whether by giving more Praying more, going, doing something, visiting one of the six location countries. I'd love to see all of you visit Israel. And to, I'd love to see all of you visit every single country on their six option mission trips on, on, on the envelope. Choose one and say, God, I want to go on a walk where Jesus walked. I want to go and visit uh, Asia, Africa. I want to visit one part of the world to make a difference for you. It's just, there's just no telling what God can do. You just have to be willing to say yes, God. You just have to be willing to engage God. I want to tell you this last story about a man who engaged God in, in, in a way that I know will, will revive your spirit. 
It's a man named Uncle George. He's my dad's oldest brother. Um, and Uncle George was an angry man with no anger management program. He was a, he's a walking fighter. He just loved to pick trouble and fight with people. He's a troublemaker. And I remember um, growing up, we would pray for him at least twice a day, lunch or breakfast. My father, he's my father's oldest brother, and we pray, God, would you please save Uncle George? Uncle George lived on Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is 99.99% Muslims, and, and many there are very fanatic or extreme in their own mindset, at least this other, this backside of Mount of Olives where he lived. Mount of Olives, for those of you who don't know, is a place where Christ ascended, and it's a place where Christ will return one day. So he lived up there. He, and, and I remember uh, we had a conference in the Galilee, a Korean conference. My father wanted to invite Uncle George. Even some of our elders tried to convince him not to because he might embarrass the church. But, we just, but they understood that cannot convince my father not to do it. So I drove with my father in the car. I rode with him to go to Mount of Olives to go to invite Uncle George. And you can read, you can read about my father in, in my book later. He's been beaten, stabbed, shot, so very few things scare my father. One of those few things is Uncle George. <laughs> it just tells you the kind of man he was. We parked the car, we crossed the street, and then we knock on the door. And he, you know, breathing loudly, he walks up the door. I can even hear his footsteps. He just opened the door and looks at my father and I and says, what do you want? By the guy was scary. I take a step to the side and say, dad, he's all yours. My father stumbles over some words, says, George, at a conference in the, in the Galilee, would you like to go? And my uncle George looks down and asks my father a question. He says, is there free food? My father says, yes. And he asks the second question. He says, do I have to pay? My father says, no, we'll cover you. He says, good, I will go. And he, and, and he didn't ask, can I bring my wife? He goes, I'm bringing my wife. Okay, you'll bring my wife, it's fine. i never forget this. I'm hopping on the bus and I walk up. And on the right-hand side of the bus, it's, it's a 50-passenger bus, like two and two. That's how it's broken down, all the way to a 50-passenger bus. And he's sitting and there's like almost, almost a, a whole row of seats in front of him, empty and two empty seats behind him because nobody wants to sit close to Uncle George in the fear that they might rub him in the wrong way. This last hour of this conference, I'm telling you, you just don't know what God has in store for you, for person next to you, for your husband, wife who might not be here, for your son, for your neighbor, for you. You just don't know. You just have to be willing to engage people. This is what happens. Last hour in this conference, I come around the corner and this is the last hour we're about to load up to head back to Jerusalem. Conference is done, but this is the last hour of worship. I come around the side right corner and God, my witness. And I see a lot of commotion in the front, a lot of people jumping. And I come around the corner. You have to understand, I've never seen Uncle George laugh, smile, cry, weep, do any of those in my life. Come around the corner, there's Uncle George. He's got his fist up in the air. He's jumping up and down, up and down. He's weeping, crying, laughing, smiling. Like he, he looked like a lunatic. But he's a lunatic that's been set free. He was saying, he was had his fist up in the air saying, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. I'm free. I'm free. I grabbed his hand and said, George, what's wrong with you, Uncle George? He says, I'm free. I keep saying, I'm free. I'm free. I grabbed his hand and began to jump up and down with him. I said, he's free. He's free. And the bus ride from the Galilee down to Jerusalem, he sat in the back of the bus because he had, he just wanted to talk. He had stuff to get off his chest. The guy got 30 years of silence and three-hour bus ride. He could not touch up. But his stories were so amazing, captivating, like almost 80% of the bus was huddled around Uncle George. There's so much weight in the back of the bus. The bus felt like it's going like this back to Jerusalem. 
we get to Jerusalem, we get off the bus, and, and Uncle George grabs a few of the men, puts his hand on his shoulders, on their shoulders. I'm standing close around, around the circle there, and, and, um, and he says, let's do this in Jerusalem. And, and I remember one of the elders says, what do you mean do this? What, what are you asking for? He just didn't know the lingo, the language. He's asking for us to start a church in Jerusalem. And he says, he says, what, he said, what I experienced in the Galilee, I want to experience in Jerusalem. And he was a part of helping to start Calvary Church in Jerusalem. One verse he loved, it came out of Mark 8. Most of the times he butchered the verse, he butchered the reference, he used it in the wrong conversations. <laughs> he just loved that verse. And in summary, his verse says, any man that hangs on to his soul, he will lose it. But any man that lays down his life for another will gain it. He loved that verse. We can never understand why for the first two and a half years or so of his faith. We couldn't understand why he loved it. He just loved it. But we didn't see that God had engaged to him and God had imprinted that verse on his heart for, for a larger purpose. He was having lunch at his house one day and there's a frantic knock on the door came. You know, I don't want to finish the story myself. I don't want to know that the story be finished by the, through the eyes and through the lips of Uncle George's wife. And we have her on video. She's going to share, <clears throat> share with you the, the story of what happened after, this in, after he was engaged with, by God. And to see how one little, things which you, one little thing which you can't, always, you can't always imagine or put your fingers on, you just know that God's doing something. By you being willing to say, God, use me or engage God, you just don't know what's going to happen. It ends up changing history. Please check this video out. And so the dream of a church in Jerusalem was ignited. My father, Pastor Nain Curry, and our uh, leadership team started Calvary Church. Uncle George was there for the very first service in Wild Joe's in the eastern part of Jerusalem. His heart was so invested in that church, he wanted to grow in Christ, and he wanted that same thing for others. He was tall and very strong. If he hit somebody, it was a knockout punch. They would go down. He was very strong and would get very angry, yelling and cursing. I was always telling him, ignore people, don't let them get to you, don't fight them. Everyone in the community was afraid of him. He completely changed. He became a man who obeyed God. He prayed a lot and he started to talk about God. I was so surprised because he had never mentioned God before. He said, I feel faith coming to my heart. I have Jesus in my heart now. I was joking with him. What's happened to you? You started bringing people to church? He told me, I want to be responsible now in the church. I love the church. And then he wanted to bring lots of people to church. So he started driving a van and picking people up for church. He brought so many people to church that they would even be standing outside. There was not enough space, no more chairs. Always the church was full. It was the Intifada, the uprising at that time. We were sitting inside. There was a knock on the door. An old blind man was there. He was our neighbor, and he said, there were men coming after him. They wanted to beat him up. 
in order to make him leave the neighborhood. So my husband told him to come into the house that nobody would hurt him. Then there was another knock. It was the five men who were chasing the blind man. And George told them, I can't give you the man. He's under my protection now. If you have problems with him, take it to court. But the man said, we don't want to talk to you, Christian. And then they hit him on the head. I was screaming, go, run away. They are going to kill you. But he didn't, and they kept hitting him with sticks. His face changed like he was at peace. My daughter says there was light shining out from his face. He didn't find them. He didn't fight them. He would have killed them all, but he didn't fight back. He didn't move. <sighs> When they left, he was on the ground bleeding, and he asked me to forgive him. I said, I forgive you for everything. The ambulance finally came. They said he was dead. They covered him and took us to the hospital. Your dad said to me, I saw my brother going to heaven. He is with Jesus now. As the story of his death began to spread, it led to mounting pressure from the Jerusalem community. I want to stop there because it's a good time to interject and, and begin the conclusion. Before I left Jerusalem, I just came for this conference uh, literally less than, less than three days ago. I came just to be with you. And I fly back to Israel tonight where in about four days I'll be going to some hostile areas. And I'll be taking your faces, your beautiful smiles and your hugs. I'll be taking them back with me. And one of the first people I'll be seeing is Uncle George's wife when I get to Jerusalem in, in less than 24 hours. You know, when I left, what she told me, she said, she grabbed me by the shoulder. She's a fireman, you can tell she's a fighter. She grabbed me by the shoulders and she pulled me down face to face. And she said, you tell America. She doesn't speak English, she speaks Arabic. She's a widow of a martyr who gave up his life simply because he believed in Mark 8. Said, you tell American Christians, tell them it's worth it. To tell you it's worth it. Her pain, her sorrow, the, her husband bleeding in front of her for something he had nothing to do with, just simply living out market. She told me to tell you, tell them it's worth it. Told me to tell you to, to love Jesus because it's worth it. To sacrifice and to see yourself through a lens of a God that loves you. And do not sit on the stand on the sideline. And just be a spectator, be a part of making history. You know, she lost everything. And out of her, out of what she lost, we, we ended up starting a thing called support or adopt a persecuted family program, which, which people pray and sow into this program on a monthly basis. Because of people like her who lose everything because of the faith and they look around and there's nobody for them except the body of Christ. Here's my challenge to you. Choose a missionary that's here whether it's us in Israel, whether any of the other 12 or 13, choose one, say, I want to pray, I want to support, I want to give to you through the church, I want to know more about your ministry over the field, I want to be a part, I'm tired of being just a spectator, I'm tired of seeing just pictures on the walls of missionaries, I want to be a part. Choose one to say, I want to give, I want to support, I want to invest. 
Be a part of, if, if, don't just say I gave a little, just say I gave, I prayed, I, I, I helped make a difference, make a dent in, in a need, make a dent in a prayer. If there's something, go out, go all, be all in. Have skin in the game soon, because Jesus is coming soon. Come out to the tables, we'd love to shake your hands. Come out, sign up for our newsletters. Grab a copy of my book. It's, it's in the backyard of Jesus. It's been referenced by David Jeremiah, referenced to me by James Dobson. Um, avoid me having to go back to Israel with two big old duffel bags. It's hard for an Israeli Arab to go through airports with big duffel bags. Just spare me, spare me the looks, all right? Um, do me a favor and release them from me. It's for suggested donations. It's all self-explanatory out there. Sign up for newsletters. There's some stories in there where it touch your life. Come out and talk to Daniel. Daniel Collins is our stateside director on our table. He heads up all of our mission trips. Come out and talk to him on our table as you come out and grab the book and newsletter. I want to ask you this last question and I'm done. I have 60 seconds. If you were to face Jesus face to face and if, if, if you're standing in a booth and Christ would grab you by a little lapel and, he, and he, he would pull you within an inch or two of your face and if he were to ask you what have you done for me that's worth anything in heaven? What would your response be? For me, I would say, Lord, just give me another 24 hours just to go back to tell one more person that hates you that you love him. So Lord, give me another 24 hours just to live another day just to tell my wife and kids how much I love them. What would your response be if Jesus were asking, what have you done for me? That's worth anything in heaven. Some of you might say, God, I, I, I gave a thousand when I could have given ten. Or God, I gave a hundred when I could have given a thousand. Don't wait for that moment to happen. Make a difference now. Make a dent and make a difference now. Make a difference. Because Jesus is coming soon. I'm not, I don't want to turn this into a prophecy conference. It's not, but he's coming soon. Don't be on the spectator on the sidelines. Make a difference tonight. God bless you. And I love all of you. I will take your faces back to Israel with me. And the, and the smiles, your love, your care for missions. I fell in love with the church the last three days. And I look forward to doing more together, Pastor Ron, you and Doug and the community here. Um, God's going to do great things through your life. Expect and expect. Let me pray over you. Lord, I pray for every single person here. I pray you release your angels. Lord, as the worship team comes up and prepares, I pray you release your angels upon them to bless them starting from the top leadership all the way down to the young children in Sunday school. I pray you anoint every individual, touch the hearts and the needs of every missionary. Lord, use people here to help meet every need, not just the needs, every need that every missionary has. I pray that this church would meet all the needs. Lord, I pray release the wealth, the blessings upon the business owners here, upon employers here, employees here. I pray that you release the blessing, prosper them, bless them. But Lord, prosper them so they can give back and build the kingdom of God. I pray you heal marriages. Lord, today some of you are struggling with emotions and sin and they're just struggling. Lord, they want to serve you. They just, they are their own worst enemies. I release them from any bondage in the flesh, in the spirit. We set free by the name of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for what you have done and what you're about to do right now. We step in faith in Jesus' name. Amen.